So in the last class, the section which we took for discussion is the need for introducing Bhakti Yoga and that too, the need for Shukadeva, the need for instructing Shukadeva in the Bhagavatam so that he can preach Srimad Bhagavatam to the humankind. What was the need to bring down Shukadeva from the Nirvikalpa Samadhi from the state of intense absorption in the contemplation of the Brahman, he was brought down from there to preach bhakti to the humankind. What was the need for that? And why bhakti had to be introduced? So in short, let us just recapitulate. In the Bhagavatam itself, in the 11th uh, part, in the 11th part, in the 20th chapter, the 7th sloka, it speaks of that who is an adept in Jnana Yoga, who has the qualifications for practicing Jnana Yoga, and who are the ones who have the qualification for practicing Karma Yoga. So what's the sloka? Nirvinnanam Jnana Yoga, Nyasinam Iha Karmasu, Teshu Anirvinna Chittanam Karma Yogastu Kaminam. Nirvinnanam Jnana Yoga. So there are three paths. The Jnana, Jnana Yoga, the path of Karma, the Karma Yoga, and the Bhakti Yoga, which will be introduced by Vyasa. It wasn't something which was prevalent in the Vedic age. It's, we find that the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam has been composed to initiate mankind into this new path of Bhakti Yoga. So previously, these two paths were there, the jnana and the karma. So for whom the jnana was there and for whom the karma was meant for? So nirvinnanam, the one who has already developed tremendous dispassion, nirvinna. Nirvinna means the one who has tremendous dispassion for the worldly way of living, for the material life. They're totally disgusted. So for them, the jnana yoga was prescribed and they were, having the license, they were allowed to renounce all sorts of actions and responsibilities. They could go to the forest, retire to the forest, and lead a life of a pure recluse 
and contemplate on the uh, this the knowledge of brahman the gyan of brahman and for whom the karma was meant the one who had the desire for accruing the results of his actions to enjoy the results of his action in this life and not only that it should continue even in the future life that after death he had the idea of going to the heaven and there his present karma should enable him to enjoy the fruits of the action here and hereafter so near this tesu anirvinnana those who are highly attached anirvinna chittana nirvinna is the one who is totally detached and the one who is highly attached there the anirvinna chittana for them the karma yoga karma yoga doesn't mean the nishkama karma all the sacrifices which has been prescribed in the vedas and there's those performing those sacrifice sacrifice you attain some result which you can enjoy those results in this life and hereafter so there was as if no way out for the one who have developed to certain extent detachment for the worldly way of living they don't want to be involved in karma but at the same time they have they are yet to develop the tremendous dispassion where they can just contemplate they can be in extreme contemplation intense contemplation of their real nature so vyasa is the one who find that who has prescribed this path of bhakti he is introducing this path of bhakti through the composition of shrimad bhagavatam to the human kind we find that most of us fall in that category so in the next shloka the 20 of the the 8th shloka of the 20th chapter of the 11th part of bhagavatam they speak that speak of that who is entitled for bhakti so what is being mentioned there yadrichaya mat kathadav jata sraddhastu yah puman na nirvinna na atishakto bhakti yoga asya siddhidah that somehow by the bless or by the blessing of the divine that it was not planned somehow it, you came in association with some holy person and you heard him talking about some the life of some divine incarnation or some sage or some saint and hearing that suddenly you find that something within you is also aspiring for that type of life that you are in this world but like a lotus leaf though it's in water but the water cannot touch it and that's the type of life you want to lead where you are in the world most probably you are not totally detached from it but at the same time you have developed so much love for the divine that nothing of this so called daily existence life worldly existence affects you your mind is always tuned to the divine through devotion so that type of life you start aspiring but at the same time you have not developed though you have developed the love for this type of katha this type of discussion hearing the the glories of the divine life and not only that to get absorbed in that life you have developed that test for it but you are yet to develop 
the total detachment so for such person this bhakti yoga is something which is prescribed and we also found that most of us belong to that category so yadrichaya mat kathado jata sraddhastu yapuma somehow by the blessing of the divine i've developed a little liking for the life rather sport the divine sport of the divine incarnation or for the holy life of the holy sense na nirvinno na atisakto neither totally detached nor extremely attached bhakti yoga asya siddhida so for such a person bhakti yoga is the most suitable path so this is the thing which we find that we have not developed sufficient vairagya for sanyasa but at the same time we want to renounce that all the elaborate sacrifices which has been ordained prescribed in the vedas because we are have developed the detachment for the enjoyment of the results thereof so for such person this bhakti yoga is the most suitable path that is one of the reason and another reason which we discussed was with the advancement with all the advancement of our modern age we find that in our it's a big paradox in our search for laser why we have the all the discoveries of the modern science which has at last entered our household your refrigerator your washing machine your dishwasher your vacuum cleaner what are they meant for they are meant for giving me more laser if i had to do them manually so much time it would have taken throughout the day i would have been busy with all those household chores it becomes so easy now but where the biggest paradox is here the entire technology the advancement was to find more and more laser and at last we find that just to earn our living from morning till evening we are working like slaves just working like slave there is no question that i somehow can avoid it you're almost you will find that in the present working scenario you have to work from morning to evening to just sustain yourself with your family and with your children it so that's the what that's the thing which sri ramakrishna told annagata pram means our entire energy is expended just in earning our livelihood so where do you get for those time for those elaborate rituals i don't have time so again this bhakti yoga becomes something very suitable for the age this present age and vyasa understood that he understood the predicament of the human being human kind and that's why he wanted to introduce bhakti as a path which is not only suitable for all but is also an easier way why it is an easier way so at that we will come to the seventh shloka of the second chapter of the first part of bhagavatam we are taking the various shlokas from various parts to just bring out the idea that why vyasa wanted to introduce bhakti now he understood that bhakti is an easy path but how to develop that just i say have devotion for god and you cannot have devotion love is not something which can simply be willed and you love it is an emotion which should come from within 
then how can I develop that emotion for that love for the divine, which is being spoken of as devotion. Emotion for the divine is the devotion. So how to develop that devotion? So for that, we find in the Bhagavatam, Vyasa is indicating the way out, as has been indicated in the seventh sloka of the second chapter of the first part of Srimad Bhagavatam. What is saying? Vasudeve Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janayati Ashu Vairagyam Gyanam Chayat Ahaitukam. So, if one adores the Supreme Being Vasudeva, Krishna, with one pointed devotion, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita, with one pointed devotion, if anyone is adoring the divine, then what happens? He or she will quickly attend this passion. Janayati Ashu Vairagyam. Very quickly, the dispassion you can grow from all the worldly attachments. If you want to have quick dispassion, you have to develop that love for the divine. And not only that, that you grow dispassion and at the same time, in spiritual life, this is very important. If dispassion, detachment alone was the sign of spirituality, then even the so-called the depressed psychologically depressed person would have been considered to be highly spiritual. They have no attachment for life. Sometimes we find they're so detached from everything because of intense depression. That's not the sign of spirituality. That dispassion should be followed by, should be associated with love for something. So jnanam cha yat ahaitukam. So he is established in the supreme knowledge. So jnana and the dispassion should go hand in hand. Then only it speaks of spiritual evolution. And this, you get this ultimate uh, knowledge. Jnana comes through bhakti. The ultimate knowledge as well as the dispassion. So both these things is easily attainable just through bhakti. So that's the thing which Vyasa is indicating. Now how that bhakti comes? as we have already indicated in some previous class, that when you're reading the life of the divine incarnation, the divine sport, a very interesting thing, you will find somehow you get absorbed in it. Why? That life depicts some larger than life character. Something which is not possible for me is so spontaneously being displayed by those lives. And that makes us attached to that life. Very interesting incident is there in Mahabharata, which Swami Vivekananda used to indicate in his lectures, that when the Pandavas were forced for, uh, to go for their 14 years in forest, the entire kingdom was snatched away from them and they were forced to lead the life in the forest as a recluse. And one day it so happened that Yudhishthira was accompanied by Draupadi. They were walking down the foothills of the Himalayas. The Himalayas, the peak of the snow peak, Himalayas were visible. The snow peaks of the Himalayas, the ranges of peaks, the mountains was visible as they were proceeding on their 
way. And suddenly Draupadi, she was full of grudge that so much of uh, foul play she had experienced in her life already. And she was full of grudge. Suddenly she told that you, Yudhishthira, O King, you are so much devoted to the Lord. You have a one-pointed devotion to the Lord. But what has God done for us? Just see in what a predicament we are, in what peril we have been left, uh, left over, in what crisis we are. We have to leave our kingdom and just we are in the forest leading this life of a recluse. What has God done to us? The reply that Yudhishthira gave was very interesting. He never gave a direct answer. He pointed to the snow peaks of the Himalayas and told, dear, don't, don't, do you like it? Of course, such a wonderful scenery. It's something that anyone is bound to love. And then Yudhishthira immediately asks the next question. What do you, what does the Himalaya give? You love Himalayas just for this wonderful scenery. What does it give it to you? Does it give anything? Just seeing you fall in love. What you get in return? Nothing. So no God to be something. He is something who is to be loved. You, you can, there cannot be any mercenary activity in love. Cannot be, there cannot be give and take. It's not shopkeeping. He is an object of love. Just the way the Himalaya, the tires of the peaks of the Himalaya mountain. It gives you a sense of infinitude. And that creates a sense of awe. And you're immediately drawn towards it. You see, even nowadays, that's what we do. When we get bored with our monotonous life, every day going to the job, coming back, same type of life, what we do? We spend our money to go to some place where we can enjoy the scenery, nothing else. We just spend our money, go to some place, either we will be by the side of the ocean, there also you are just enjoying the infinitude of the ocean, or you are by the side of some mountain, you're going for the, uh, some trekking, or you're just viewing, viewing the mountain and just absorbing the tires of the peaks and you get awestruck. What's happening? That there's something within us which can never think itself to be limited. The faculty of awe, sa anantaya kalpate, the, our, the core of our being is infinite. And it is in always search of that infinite. And it finds a wonderful pleasure, absorption by being absorbed in something which speaks of infinitude. And we, for the time being, we find all our burdens have been kept aside. That we are always carrying a baggage of worries and tensions, our obsessions. And for some time that awe enables us to keep it down. And we feel a tremendous relaxation. And that takes us to a certain type of flow, absorption. Everything is forgotten. And that absorption, if it can really, it can really uh, inspire you, infatuate you, it can take you to the, such a deep absorption that can take you to that ultimate, ultimate spiritual 
culmination in samadhi you know how that even in the modern days flow psychology they speak of that wonderful thing that we never actually enjoy the life by uh, what you say the testing the material pleasures of life because there is a limitation all the sensual enjoyment can never give us happiness what's the limitation you cannot go on pursuing it you take so much time to prepare a delicacy in 10 minutes is over just 10 minutes you find you may think let me just go on talking and eating whatever it may be and at the most you will find half an hour 45 minutes one hour and then you are satiated you cannot continue with the meal after that now that satiation comes it's over so real enjoyment can never come through the sensual sensitive sensitive pleasures and not only that it's over for the time being it never gives me the ultimate happiness again tomorrow it will come back the same hunger will come back so there is no satiation and i find that it gives me a sense of dissatisfaction i cannot pursue it uh, at a time for long and it comes back as an obsession again and again i have to get uh, what do you say that uh, in the words of our scripture as if like a fly we wanted to sip the honey we came and sat on the honey and our wings get stuck in the honey now we are obsessed and you when once it you are obsessed you find you are slave you cannot enjoy anymore you are being enjoyed so that's the limitation of all sensitive pleasures but there is some higher pleasure suppose you have learned playing sitar a stringed musical instrument when you were learning it was not a very pleasant uh, endeavor it was not a very pleasant endeavor why when i was learning my skills were not up to the challenge i was struggling i had to use lot of my will power to continue in the fixed hours one hour of practice it was quite strenuous but gradually as my skills started meeting the challenge just when the skill meets the challenge you enter into a flow the friction has gone you enter into a flow and once you enter into a flow now you find you are enjoying a bliss which has no limitation when you are enjoying a delicacy the moment you are satiated it's over here you have entered into a flow which you will find that most probably throughout the night you are playing or for hours together you are playing you have your skills have met the challenge and now it is a tremendous happiness which as if can continue for hours together how it has happened the real happiness comes whenever we enter into that flow how it happens because the when the mind gets really focused on something the mind has a limited power of processing information the other thing naturally starts falling off the more i am focused the more portion of our mind is taken away by the object of our focus the other things naturally has to fall off because mind cannot take more than particular uh, information the particular store of information beyond it cannot take more than that so when your mind is taken away by your object of concentration in this case the musical instrument 
the other thing starts falling off. You're not aware. At last, external thing falls off first. And then the next thing which falls off is all your bodily sensations. The hunger, thirst, these are all the alarm, biological alarms. Now, when you are focused to something which you like, love, this all these things, these biological alarms, which need a part of your mind, the mind is no more available for that. They start falling off. You enjoy the state of videha, though you are in the body as if you are out of it. And at last what happens? That samadhi, samadhi is what? The triputi bheda. This is a wonderful thing. We think that uh, just by meditating on Krishna, I can have the Krishna is the highest spiritual being. By meditating on him, I can attain that real knowledge. It's actually the fact is any, anything, if you can really get absorbed, you can get the same knowledge. The knowledge is not what, what you believe. You may believe anything. All the knowledge as such at present we have has nothing to do with the absolute truth. You may believe anything. What you believe is not important. How intensely you believe, that is more important. The thing which you believe in which, in that, how intensely you can get absorbed, that is important. What happens? At last, the object of your concentration is so, is so intense that the mind, the little part of your mind, which has to keep your ego intact, even when I am intensely meditating, the idea is that I am meditating, that I am meditating, I am the one who is meditator. There's an object of meditation and it is a meditation through which we are connected. That I has also fallen off. That's called Triputi Bheda. This triad collapses. You become one with the object of meditation. What happens actually? The ego, the moment the ego falls off, the ego is related to our mind. It is like the prism. Just to give an example, when the white light is falling on the prism, it breaks into the spectrum. When the conscious principle, which is our real nature, which is finding is associated with the mind, this world is projected out. What is this world like? Our body is like the theater. Our mind is like the projector. And whatever is projected in the screen through the projector is the world. When you are sitting in the theater, the entire theater is your body. The mind is the projector and the thing projected in the screen is the world. The moment, because of that intense absorption, the ego falls off. The prism has been taken away. The projection falls off. You are what you are. And that happens in any, what you say, that uh, spiritual tradition. The proof of Advaitic realization is not only in the scriptures of Advaitic Vedanta. Its proof is in every religion. If you study the life of the mystics of any religion, in Islam, go to the life of the Sufis, Sufi saints, and the Christian, the mystics, the Christian mystics of the medieval ages. You go to the Kabbalah tradition of the Jews. Anywhere you go, you will find they are speaking in the same language. We always say that all the religions are so different. How can they be same? Yes, as per the dogmas and doctrines are concerned, as per our way of practices are concerned, we are highly varied. 
but those through absorption has went to that type of realization where they are realizing seeing the truth face to face they speak in the same language if you have to find unity in all the religions go to the mystic traditions you will find how similar the language is there they all speak of that unitary experience unity of experience and that's being being spoken of here by vyasa that it's easy how it's easy that we always try to relate to a life to a any character which is larger than life the divine out of compassion incarnates and leads that type of life when you read that when you are absorbed in that type of life through that awe faculty you get extremely attached to that that can easily take you to that devotion to that flow which can take you to that ultimate spiritual absorption in the form of samadhi to go to that realization that's why sri ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example that he used to say that you know all these divine personalities all the various ideals they are like a hole in the wall of ego what we are doing that we are as if the one who believes krishna to be the absolute reality he is as if chiseling the form of krishna in the wall of ego chiseling our imagination our all our beliefs and imagination is the process of chiseling as long we are chiseling is going on it is still an imagination but a time comes when the chiseling is complete a hole has been created that idea of i has fallen off you are getting totally absorbed with that idea that i am meditating on krishna that has fallen off just krishna is there i am as if one with it you have created the whole so, so ramakrishna is giving a very nice example suppose there is a wall i don't know what's on the other side of the wall i start chiseling it maybe in a circular fashion and when that chiseling is complete i get a circular hole through that i peep and i see there's an infinite expanse on the other side for me the circle becomes a framework to realize that infinite expanse if i would have chiseled the hole in the form of a square or in an in a rectangle in a rectangular fashion whatever in different fashions in an elliptical fashion whatever fashions i would have chiseled irrespective of the fact of in what shape i am chiseling at last when the hole is there and you are peeping through it you are looking at the same infinite expanse so that's the idea which has been spoken of so when these lives you get absorbed to it your chiseling process has started and that can take you when the chiseling is complete it can take you to the realization of that infinitude which is your real nature which is beyond all limitation the problem is the one who does uh, with one particular uh, divine personality they say they peep through that hole of krishna and say krishna is infinite krishna is the ultimate reality those who do with the with the shiva they say shiva is the absolute reality those who have done with jesus jesus is the only son of god and that's how we fight ramakrishna in the entire spiritual history was left out to chisel so many holes in the wall of ego in the span of 12 years and he has the one 
who chiseled the hole through all and peeped through all the holes to come and say, all lead you to the same realization. So why we are just saying this? That let us not be one-sided. The scripture that is speaking is of a way, a wonderful way. So we just let us try to understand the idea behind it. What we are fighting with is just mere some notions. It has nothing to do with the ultimate realization. So what's the ultimate realization that is being spoken of here? That just by devotion, it can take you to that ultimate realization. Not only that, and naturally, it's a, such a tremendous flow that all the things, the so-called, which is at present a cause of my attachment, they naturally fall off. So that's how bhakti is the thing which Vyasa felt has to be uh, prescribed for the entire humanity because that alone is the way which can help the majority of us to enter into the higher runs of spirituality. Now the question came, when when you are going to introduce something, you know, nowadays also we do the same thing. What we do, that suppose you have developed some wonderful product. Uh, Just take anything, uh, some, uh, most probably some, Uh, nutritional mix you have created. And now what you have to do, you have to just go for some, uh, that's a gold medal, the one who has had gold medal in Olympics. And you have to request him that why not you advertise for this product? Why? The people will easily take that. It is not that I am just bluffing the people. It is really good. But unless it is advertised by someone whom people believe that yes, he is the strong person. He has got the gold medal in uh, Olympics in sports. He's the one who is prescribing this. Immediately, the authenticity of that product, which is really authentic, it somehow now appeals the public's uh, sentiment. Now they they can easily get uh, hooked to it. And which is good, it's not bad. It's not that he has been bluffed. The same thing Vyasa felt that bhakti was something which he found is essential. But at the same time, it was not the thing which was practiced. People either do have developed that tremendous renunciation, they will renounce everything and go to the forest and lead the life of a recluse, totally absorbed in the contemplation of Brahman, or they are engaged in the karmakanda. There was this bhakti was not a way which was something practiced uh, in the society. So now to make this bhakti acceptable to the humankind, now he thought that it must be preached by someone who is established in jnana. If he comes down from that state and preaches bhakti, then it will be easily acceptable to the humankind. So as we were indicating that before Bhagavatam, Vyasa actually wrote 18 Puranas. And it was, the, as per the tradition, it was the sutras, the sudras. Those who had that capacity of memorizing, tremendous power of memorizing, they're called Shrutidhar. Just by hearing the entire thing they memorize. They were highly venerated. In any yagya, you have to call a sutra and recitation of 
the puranas and the itihasas were must that's how the knowledge was for uh, call it the knowledge was transmitted because in all those yagyas there will be a huge gathering and the sutras will go and recite the puranas and the itihasas and roma harshana the name itself is so the roma harshana the one who while narrating this all these divine uh, episodes who will get horripilation roma harshana roma means the hears the body hears harshana means which stands up because of ecstasy the one who gets horripilation so roma harshana was such a person he was having that type of uh, absorption but when it came uh, that the bhagavatam has to be preached for that vyasa now thought of that this is a path which we are going to preach to the mankind which was not yet the vogue of the day it was not that it was not an accepted way of spiritual practice so now he thought of shukadeva he was in deep uh, uh, samadhi his son deep into the forest he himself didn't knew where he is he knew that somewhere he is in the forest is in deep meditation he had to uh, devise some way to bring him to preach this bhagavatam because if he comes down and preaches the people will believe in its efficacy that's one point and another thing in bhagavatam the one of the main tenets of bhagavatam is madhura bhava the rasa leela that the love which we are going to uh, give to the divine after all being a human being it is all the human loves or all the human love that i can direct to the divine i cannot jump out of myself i know nothing else and those human life uh, love how, how in what way it finds expression either it finds expression as the parents uh, as the love of a servant for the master dasya bhava so there though the love is there some fear factor is there that if i am not always obeying the master the master may be angry with me i he may just kick me out the question of punishment comes so dasya bhava but i have to follow the rules and regulations but still there is a love for long time i am working with the master and you develop a love that's one type of love the love of between the friends where the fear factor has fallen off the love of the parent for the son the mother for the son that's still higher love because there is no fear not only that there is no fear you take the object of your love as smaller than you so all the fear factor has fallen off that love still the higher love is the love of the wife for the husband in because it includes all the things sometimes it is out of life love the wife really li- just likes to that uh, find out that what my husband likes or dislikes and try to obey not out of just fear it was a love sometimes the dasya bhava finds expression some when he is feeding the husband at that time a type of parental love comes though she is the wife at certain time when when the husband is sick or he's she is feeding the husband ramakrishna in the, in the gospel is mentioning that 
At that time, she has become the mother. She's the friend. She's all in all. So this is the love where we find this more intense absorption. And there is a love even beyond that. That is the illicit love. Why it is beyond that? There is a tremendous, as per the absorption is concerned, it is tremendous. And the entire society is not prescribing to it. But your heart is tremendously flowing for it. You are ready to break all the social norms just for your love. It is and gives that intense, what is that, that absorption in that. So that's the ultimate, that uh, Madhura Bhava, the Rasa Leela. But what is, uh, why that Rasa Leela has been described to speak of that intense love. When you develop that intense love, all the social norms are bound to fall off. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when in a party, there is provision for drinks, and you also resort to the drinking, as long as you have not drunk much, a little, just one peg or something, you can think of maintaining both. You can enjoy the intoxication as well as you can continue with the socializing. But if you have drunk more, you cannot socialize. You get totally intoxicated. So similarly, in devotion, the more is your absorption, the social norms has to fall off. Your intoxication is so high to indicate that type of bliss which comes from intense absorption. The Rasa Leela is being depicted in Srimad Bhagavatam, where the gopis actually are the yogis who wanted to be in association with the divine. And for that, in that life, they came as the, they incarnated as the gopis. And they are in love for Krishna. They forget the social norms. They're all married. They just leave their husband. They go to meet Krishna in the forest because there's an intense love is there. But at the same time, in the Bhagavatam, when we will be reading the slokas, we'll find they are never forgetful about the divine nature of Krishna. The word Krishna means one, that which is attracting. The tremendous attraction is coming from the divine. So here, what happens when we are reading that Bhagavatam? Without some preliminary purification, if I read the Bhagavatam, there's a chance. I will contaminate those divine sport with my with my dross all the, all the drossness because i am not sufficiently pure and that that's why sri ramakrishna used to say that as if you eat radish you are going to belch the smell of radish and that's what we do so now when vyasa is prescribing bhagavatam for the humanity that fear is there we may dilute it to an ordinary human love. So again, there was a need for someone to preach the Bhagavatam who is immaculately pure. As we will go to the life of Shukadeva, we will find he was immaculate from the birth itself. He was not willing to take birth. And when he took birth at the age of 18, immediately his renunciation was so intense. Immediately he started moving out running out from his house. And Vyasa was after him. That young boy just born and he's running, having no attachment to father or mother. He's a born yogi, has born and he's running. And Vyasa is running after him. 
just shouting, calling, oh, my son, my son. And that's now that we will go to that, that how that tremendous uh, renunciation Shukadeva have, what, how pure he was, how pure he was. Now, when running through that chasing uh, after Shukadeva, it so happened, Vyasa had to pass through a reservoir where all the nymphs of the, you know, the, the divine, uh, the nymphs, the heavenly nymphs, they were all having a dip there. They were having, they were bathing in the reservoir. Now seeing Vyasa, Vyasa Deva just passing through that way, they out of shame covered themselves. Now Vyasa was really astonished because he knew very well just a few moments earlier, his young son, he's an old man, his young son who had passed that way, an 18-year-old boy, well-built, full of youthfulness, totally naked because he was just born and he's running. He, that a young boy, ran that way, totally naked, nude, and these nymphs, heavenly nymphs, but totally oblivious. They never felt ashamed. And now seeing this old man, they're ashamed. They're just covering themselves by cloth. And now Vyasa asks these nymphs. It's really surprising. It's seeing me, an old man, you're ashamed. But my son, a young man, that also he was running nude. You never felt ashamed. What's the reason behind it? And the simple answer was, just the way we never feel ashamed to an infant child. An infant child is there, will you be ashamed? No. The one who has no sense of any sort of worldliness, no sense of sexual difference, the sex difference, male or female, nothing that has. We also never feel ashamed towards the child. The question of shame comes when I know the other person is aware of this difference of gender, what is male, what is female. Then the question of shame comes. This Shukadeva is just like, though he was a young boy, but he was like a small child, immaculately pure. Unless impurity is within you, you can never see it outside. So there was no impurity. That's where Swami Vivekananda used to give an example that the thief is within us. That's why we see the thief. Suppose a lump of gold is lying on the table and a small child is crawling nearby. Someone comes and takes away the gold. The child doesn't know it has been stolen because there is no thief within the child. Similarly, in case of Shukadeva, absolutely pure. There was no sense of any gender, difference of gender. And that's why he's running naked. That's the sign, that's the real reason for which the Naga sannyasis, then this, you know, they're in India, they don't wear any cloth. It's very interesting when Swami Vivekananda returned from the West, along with the Western disciples, the so many lady disciples were there. One of them was Josephine MacLeod and Swamiji along with them were going around India so that they can have an idea of this holy land, the India. And now it so happened in one of the railway stations, Josephine MacLeod saw a few of these Naga sadhus and she coming from the Western background, she almost screamed in disgust. How can someone just go about in a public place almost nude? Swami Vivekananda was extremely, immediately reprimanded and told, stop, don't shout. 
you are just try to understand this culture what you told is very interesting in your country means in the west when you see something someone nude why you find that it is indecent because it is an expression of beauty it is expression of body consciousness you want to show off that how beautiful body you have and that's why you think it to be indecent in india a nude sanyasi is considered holy because just like a small child he has no sense of the body he is immaculately pure that as he has no sense of the body that's why this total different thing so here also we find there is no sense of the body he is running nude and when you it's it's your real intention that easily finds expression in the body language of others in this world know it for certain if you have impurity immediately it will find that you will find that the other person have some hesitation in relating to you instead of blaming the other person know it for certain that there is something in my body language which speaks of my impurity it's a very common fact of life and in that's, that's the thing which has been palpably proven in the life of shukadeva that immaculately pure that in the body language it speaks of that so we find even the young nymphs they had no feel, feel of embarrassment they were just continuing with their bathing but seeing vyasa the such he himself is a holy person he has written writ, uh, he is all well versed in the scriptures but in him still the sense of this gender is there male female so that's the thing they told and now vyasa realized that i am chasing after whom who that is such an immaculate soul and then that made him come back so that's a wonderful shloka in the bhagavatam which describes this episode we will just read it the fifth shloka of the fourth chapter of the first part of bhagavatam drishtva anuyantam rishim atmajam atmajam means the sun rishi vyasa was approaching his son drishtva anuyantam rishim atmajam api anagnam that he vyasa was anagnam he was well dressed devyo riya all the devyo riya riya means riya means out of shame all the nymphs the devyo are the nymphs they out of shame paridadho covered themselves na sutasya chitram but seeing the sun they never did that tat viksha prichanti munau jagadu tava asti so then when the reason when the vyasa asks the reason for the tat viksha seeing this when the rishi vyasa asks prichanti pricham is to ask the muni asks the nymphs so what's the reason for this jagadu tava asti you still have worldliness स्त्री पुंभेदा नतु सुतस्य विविक्त यू हैव द सेंस ऑफ दैट जेंडर डिस्टिंक्शन नतु सुतस्य विविक्त विविक्त इज एब्सोल्युट प्योर योर सन सुतस्य योर सन इज एब्सोल्युटली प्योर इन हिम देयर इज नो सच डिस्टिंक्शन सो वी नेवर फील एम्ब्रेस्ड सो नाउ लिसनिंग टू द नेम्स व्यासा केम बैक टू हिज सेंसेस हिज डिल्यूशन नाउ वाज डिस्पेल्ड he thought the true indeed that behind whom i am running calling my son my son he is a realized soul he has no sense of any sort of worldly attachment and that now 
made Vyasa to stop running after him. He came back. Now, many years have passed. Now, this uh, Vyasa has composed the Bhagavatam. Now he's thinking of propagating it to the humankind. Now the thought of Shukadeva, his son again came back, not for the parental that infatuation came. Now it's for the mission. Previously he was in he was behind Shukadeva. He was running after Shukadeva because of parental infatuation. Now he is in search of Shukadeva for some divine mission. That I have to preach the Bhagavatam through that pure soul. Now where to find him? Where he is, we don't know. He may be somewhere in the dense forest or in the mountain cave. So now he devised out a plan. That what's the plan? That the glory of the divine is such that it can even bring down the one who is absorbed in deep spiritual contemplation of Nirvikalpa Samadhi. From there, his man can be easily brought down. If you can go and praise the glory of the divine. That's, these, are, these are the things which we find so uh, well illustrated in all the spiritual saints. Whenever Sri Ramakrishna used to go to Samadhi, the way to bring him down to Samadhi was chanting the name of the Lord. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to go to the Samadhi, the way of bringing their mind down was chanting the name of the Lord. It's something which we never understand. We use the name of the Lord to concentrate our mind, to have focus. And they, for them, the Lord's name is used to bring down from Samadhi. Why it happens? Because our subconscious mind is full of distraction. Consciously, we are trying to keep the mind in God. The distraction comes and breaks it. For them, that one-pointedness has taken, to, taken them to that Samadhi. Their mind is already pure. Distraction has fallen off. But the subconscious mind is full of the divine thought which has taken them to Samadhi. Just the way our distractions brings the mind from one-pointedness, a realized soul's mind in Samadhi is brought down to that habitual state of one-pointedness from where, resorting to which he has went to that state. So his subconscious mind is already cleansed. It is full of ekavritti. So, so that the name of the Lord can bring him down from the Samadhi. It is by resorting to the contemplation of the divine he has went there. That's what his subconscious mind is filled with. So the reputation of the name of the Lord can bring him. That's how the subconscious mind will erupt with that ekavritti to break his that state of nirodha state. So that's why the Rishi knew that this is the, the way to bring him down. And that's the thing which is mentioned in the 10th sloka of the 7th chapter of the first part of Bhagavatam. What is that sloka? Atma Rama Chamunayo. Atma Rama. The one who is absorbed in his own self. Atma Arama. For us the Arama all the happiness is in something external. But for the realized soul, arama. Arama means your pleasure. The, in Sanskrit, these words are very wonderful. A is a prefix. Rama itself means pleasure. That we change the name of Rama. And you see the personality of Rama was such. He was pleasant to all. He was a perfect son. He was a perfect husband. 
He is the perfect king in all the roles. He is so perfect that people have automatic a sense of pleasure in relating to him. Rama means happiness. Arama gives a sense of encompassment, happiness, which is not interrupted. In Sanskrit, whenever you use the prefix a, it is in the sense of encompassment. Like ashrama, we say four ashrama. What it means? The ashrama means endeavor. That the that stage of life which is full of endeavor from the beginning to the end. The nature of endeavor may change, but it is full of endeavor. There is no retirement. Ah, samudra himachal. Many say the idea of India as a nation was not there. It is the British came and gave us that idea. It was all small states. No. Yes, maybe politically there were so many states, but as per the religious tradition, spiritual tradition, culture is concerned. There was an idea of an integrity that this is the culture belongs to our Samudra Himachal from the ocean till the Himalayas. It's one land. These terms are there in our Sanskrit literature. If you study the Kali, Kalidasas, Shakuntala, this word is there, our Samudra Himachal. There are many other places. So this idea is encompassment. So here also our Rama. Arama means that uninterrupted happiness. In what? In Atma. That's what the Atma Rama. The Muni who is absorbed in that intense happiness, not in something external, just by being contemplating on his real nature. Nir Grantha, all the Granthi, Granthi means the knots which has fallen off. For such person also, when Urukrame Kurvanti Ahitiki Bhakti, they also, when they hear the name of the divine, as if has to come down from that step. Such is the such is the that what you say, the glory of the Lord. Ittambhuta Gunohari. Such is the glory of the Lord. Satma Rama Chamunayo, Nirgrantha Purukrame, Kurvanti Ahaituki Bhaktim, Ittambhuta Gunohari. So this Vyasa knew very well. So he, what he planned was interesting. That I will teach some, a wonderful sloka depicting the life of Krishna as a young boy to some woodcutters who go deep into the forest to cut wood. They will chant the name of the Lord by through that sloka. And Vyasa knew that somewhere he is there that for me to go in the, to find him is difficult. Hearing that sloka, Someone is bound to come to you and ask who has written that sloka. Never say Vyasa. Nearing my hem, he will again run away because he has already forsaken his father and everything. He just the moment he says that who have who is the was the one has composed it. Never say my name. Just say, do you want to meet that person? He will of course be eager to meet that person. Bring him to me. So that's the plan which Vyasa had. So with that's this wonderful sloka we will come to in the next class. And then that's how Vyasa will be bringing back his son. Not just as his son, as with the biological relation, but with the Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam is the honey with which he is dragging him. And not, also, not only just to bind him with the parental love, but to give him as a present to the entire world, as a gift to the world. The gift unopened given to the world so that the world gets is benefited by it. So we will come to that portion again in the next class. With this, we uh, conclude our discussion today. Namaskars. Thank you.